Hi, I'm Wendy Hobbs with Knowledge Counts, a podcast of the Canadian Institute of Quantity Surveyors. Today we're talking to Carla Mayfield, Vice President of Mayfield Renovations, about client care and how vital it is in order to keep existing clients and attract new ones. Okay, so Mayfield Renovations is actually my third business. And so I I fell into um, owning a business sort of by accident. Um, And through the years, I had my first company when I was 16, a little organic produce store. And it was through those years of taking care of clients that you figure out how to keep them. So business is built on clients. Um, I don't feel like I'm a client care expert, but obviously I've been able to build followings that were loyal to me and to the company that I was building. Um, So through the years, essentially, my clients themselves taught me a lot of things about caring for them. Um, So the biggest thing for me was, was listening to what people wanted and then learning to adapt to what they wanted, not what I thought they wanted. And so it's just the years of business. Um, this is my 14th year with Mayfield Renovations, and I had a cleaning company for four years before and the organic produce store for four years. So that puts me at 22 years in business. And I guess that's what I would say sets me as, as a client care expert, is just the years of taking care of clients obviously small business is nothing without clients. Carla talked about what she feels are the most important qualities needed for looking after your clients. So the top three things that for me are important when it comes to client care, first of all is to offer something that they need that solves a problem for them. And so in construction, it's one thing to have an idea of a business model and think, I want to build a company that does X. What's more important, because of course, the money is coming from the people that you serve. So it's more important to understand how you can solve a problem for them. So that's, I would say, is number one, is what problem are you solving? And is it a problem that needs to be solved? And then the second thing that that is really important is to be adaptive to their needs and also their communication styles. So I've studied a lot of different personality profiling um, models through the years, and a lot of us know DISC or Myers-Briggs. The DISC one is, I find, simpler. And so I'll ask questions as I'm getting to know someone right at the start to understand their communication style. So a person that's detail-oriented and a researcher those clients will send them a daily email update giving them one two three like however many points of what's going on in their project so that we're answering the questions they have before they even ask them and i i say that to myself a lot is and i tell this to our team is think about the questions that the client may have and pre-answer them for them so that takes stress off of them and that would be the third thing is ultimately to reduce stress in every way possible. And that's for clients, but also for our team. So if our team has bonded and gelled and we enjoy working together, that comes across and makes for a better client experience as well. So it's it's all of us as a collaborative team, not just the Mayfield Renovations team, 
it's the clients, the architect, the engineer, whoever is the team on that project to work together. We asked Carla to expand on the DISC system for understanding clients' personalities. So with the DISC personality profiles, there's key things. So there is four key uh, profiles with DISC. And we all have all four of them in us, but normally one or two that's more dominant. And there's trademark things to look for. So DISC, um, D-I-S-C, so there's the driven personality type, the innovators, the caring one, or sorry, the servers, and the compliant. So driven, innovators, servers, and compliant. And there's even a way that we dress depending on what our personality is. Like we can't control this. It's our mode of speaking. Um, so I'll be looking at the person's house even as I walk up to the door. I can tell where they are. And it's not right or wrong. We're born this way. That's why little kids, one little kid, so driven, for example, as a child, driven is motivated by competition. So that little kid, when the teacher asks for um, a volunteer, they're the one hands up running to the front of the classroom. That translates into adulthood. They'll have nice things. They'll care about status. They'll care about what people think about them. They'll often introduce themselves with first and last names. So this person is going to look for quality um, and they'll want a premium experience. The innovators, this is a little kid that's a class clown. They speak in stories. Um, they're colorful. Sometimes their houses are messy. So we might actually judge that person thinking they've got a messy house. And that doesn't mean anything at all. They're a person, um, so also with DISC, two of them are results-focused and two of them are people-focused. And so we're a blend of that. And so if you can understand if, if this client is results-focused, they don't want to hear stories. The driven person doesn't want me to tell stories of my dog. The innovator or the server do. They'll bond on human interest stories that make me more, um, more relatable to them. Um, the servers, they're another one. They may have a messy house because their number one priority is service, caring for others. If they have children, they're, they're going to be the parent that it's more important that the little kid can run into the house with the muddy boots on than take your shoes off and put them at the door. And like I mentioned, there's no right or wrong. It's just how we are. And then compliant, they're facts and figures. So understanding this and asking questions, listening for what their main motivator is. A driven personality, they would want short, direct, and to the point. They don't want someone wasting their time. And so a person like that might, they might actually feel annoyed if you give them too many details in an email or in a phone conversation because it's not respecting their time. So Email communications, for example, with people like that, they're just right to the point, subject line saying what we're talking about, and maybe one or two sentences of what the information that they need so they can make a decision. For the innovators, they don't actually read the entire email. If Also for the Ds, if the email's too long, they won't read it either. So innovators is more of a phone conversation and actually even more so face-to-face, -face, that 
they need to hear the story of what's going on. And there are also people that speak in stories. So that's a, that's a telltale sign for that personality type. So those ones are going to need more phone calls and face-to-face on the site. And if they're working during the day, then it's a pop-in Saturday mornings that we accommodate for that into our project schedule and into our project management fees. For the S, the same thing. And, and remember, we're a blend of all four. So a person, if they're an SD, they're going to be just fine with an email. That's a rare combo. But if it is somebody like that, they'll still want the email. So through the years, I've studied this a lot, I understand. Um, an S, they're, if you roar into their house and just say, we're going to do this, this, and this, and this, they will definitely not pick that contractor because they need to feel heard. They're also the biggest listeners. So S's, because of being a strong listener, often don't feel heard. So if I pick up the telltale signs that this client is an S, I'm going to spend that first hour with them, drawing them out so that I'm a safe place for them, that I care about their children, if they have elderly parents. And that's also important because I'm doing renovations. That's important for me to understand on their project. So that person, if you give them too much information, if you're pushy, that overwhelms them and it's easier for them to just walk away if you overwhelm them. So they don't want a strong, direct response. And then C's, they tend to be, not I mean, not all of us, but they tend to be more, they want to understand the facts and figures, the reasons why. There'll often be people that ask the question why. And so I need to provide, if I want them to choose my company, I need to provide the research behind, for example, spray foam insulation or answering the questions of structural components of why I'm recommending this. All clients are going to make their own choices, um, but C's need the information. And so understanding that, I'll tailor my communication style to them and respect their needs. And it's actually really easy. It's taken me years to get here, but I find it easy and I find it fun. The first meeting with a client can be vital for understanding how to work with them. What are some of the things that Carla looks for in that first meeting? The initial meeting with the client, I'm actually, what I'm seeing that's giving me the feedback of their, their personality type. I'm looking at type of car. I'm looking at um, the landscaping. I'm noticing things like the finishes in their house. I'm looking at their clothes, at their shoes. I'm looking to see when they greet me at the door, do they lead with a smile on their face? Um, is their handshake firm? Or is it gentle? Do they clasp my hand with two hands? Um, so all of these things paint the picture of who that person is. And it's we can't control it. We're comfortable with how we were born. And so I'm looking at the whole picture. And then I'm asking questions to understand where they're coming from. Their career is going to give me feedback as well. Um, uh, like I mentioned, their car. So an S or a C will have a more sensible car, and they won't care about status. So they may have a Corolla that's 20 years old. It's practical. It makes sense. Um, an I is probably going to want something fun. So they might have more of a sports car. 
a D will want something that's luxurious. So right away, what I'm seeing around that person, we create a life around us that is what we want. And so it's all of those telltale signs that paint a picture of who this person is that I'm meeting. Most people are a combination of different personalities on the DISC system, but often have one dominant type. Carla tells us a little bit more about the qualities of the four. A typical D, their house, um, and it's going to, it will depend if they're a DI or a DC, but if we're just a D, their house will be clean. It'll be quite spartan inside, not a lot of clutter. Um, No floofy, fancy decorating. So clean lines, simple. Um, When you think about them as being a driven person and they're direct, their communication will be to the point. Um, There won't be excess anywhere. So that includes furniture or words, anything like that. They'll be clean, put together, neat and tidy, um, firm handshake, direct eye contact, and they speak a little bit louder. A typical eye is, this is the person that leads with a big smile on their face and they're, come on in, you know, welcome, and can I get you something to drink? All of that. They'll speak in stories, they'll laugh a lot. Um, This is the one that I was mentioning, sometimes their house will be messy. Of course, an I that was raised by a strong C, they might have a very clean house. So then in asking questions, I'm going to figure out some of their backstory and understand. Um, It takes time, and I'm still learning and growing in this myself. So the I, they'll have more things around them. They're going to be more attracted to comfort, to fun. It's a house that might have... So if a D has movie posters, they would be more inclined to be... Uh, one-of-a-kind movie coaster or like a one-time printing that they've got framed on the wall. If an eye has movie posters, they might have several on the wall and they're just pinned to the wall. Um, If I'm meeting an S, an S is going to speak quieter. So, sorry, back to the eyes, they tend to be louder as well. So D's and I's, it doesn't mean they're extroverted, but they have extroverted type tendencies. S and C have introverted type tendencies. So an S will be quieter. They'll be asking me questions about me. Their houses, their houses can be a little bit cluttered or they can be very simple. They're people that they don't need luxurious things around them. They're looking more for comfort. They're often people that they're wanting, they're wanting to entertain. All people might like to entertain, but an S when they're looking to entertain, they might be looking for a renovation that's very comfortable when their friends and family come in. Um, they can have things that they've kept for a very long time. So that's what I'm seeing in their house. And with a C, so Cs also have the introverted tendencies. Their house generally, though, is quite neat and tidy, organized. Again, they'll have older things because they don't see the need to buy something new when something that they have taken very good care of is still serving them well. So a D and an I may have quite a few new things, new toys, whereas an S and a C, you'll see that they've taken good care of something they've had for a very long time. So if, for example, if I'm going into a home, D's home might actually look like it doesn't need a renovation 
because they may have done a renovation in the last 10 years, but they like things new and nice. An eyes home might look like it's almost falling apart because they've let their kids be kids, they've let their dog be a dog, and they're wait, they're, um, they've waited for a renovation. Um, an S, an S and a C as well, their home might be every, all the materials like cabinets, might be the 60s cabinets. An S's cabinets tend to be, they might be a little tired out, but a C's cabinets from the 60s will still look like they're new because they've cleaned the face of it, those kinds of things. So hopefully that paints a bit of a picture of, of the four types and what I'm seeing when I'm going into their homes. And through the years, and I feel it's important to, to add this in, I'm not judgmental and nobody on our team is. Um, where our company is, the personality of our company is people-focused, and I'm actually strong I. So I love people. I love meeting them and seeing how they live and hearing their stories. And I want myself, my personality out of the way for them. And so I feel the need to clarify that, that when I'm walking in and I'm looking at this, I'm never judging. I'm wanting to understand who they are so that, back to the client experience, I can give them recommendations that are perfectly suited to them and what they need and what they want. I view myself as the professional in my industry and that our clients are the professional in their industry. So clients that are architects, um, engineers, nurses, I know nothing about nursing. So I would trust them as a professional in that industry. And so I view it as a relationship where they're trusting me to share what is the most appropriate feedback for them when it comes to my industry that I should know as much as I possibly can in my industry. So it's not it's not a thing that I'm judging or thinking this one is better than that one. I think they're all fantastic and it's really fun because you you get to witness this and it makes I don't view myself as a salesperson at all. I build relationships, but it makes the process of making a sale really enjoyable because we're not making a sale, we're building a relationship and a friendship. One of the biggest issues facing any client-based company is making the process be as comfortable as possible for the client. Construction can be really stressful for certain personality types. How can businesses make it better for their clients? Yeah, so in general, the client care that works when we're meeting someone in perhaps an office setting or a lunch meeting and we don't get to see other things about them, there is always the little telltale signs, like their mode of speaking, those kinds of things. But ultimately, it does come back to what I had mentioned earlier, that how do we reduce stress for other people? We all know somebody who is a problem maker and they just irritate us. This is the person that they they might be very good at what they do, but they're not our first choice. And so I in my mind, I never want to be that person. So I always want to, if somebody is hiring me, and this comes in many forms, they may money may not be exchanged. It may be a referral partnership, or it may be someone like yourself, Wendy, because that's the people that we all gravitate to. And that's who we want to do business with, is those that make the ease of the relationship so simple that we look forward to talking to that person or hearing from that person. So ultimately, um, 
we've had some clients, and especially as I was learning more how to read, and I, this is something that actually should be asked all the time, is just to ask people, how would you like me to email you? Um, what what makes it easiest for you? Um, time of day? Do you prefer a meeting over lunch? Do you prefer a meeting um, on a Saturday morning? Is 2 p.m. in the afternoon? But it's asking the questions of um, why questions often put people on, on edge. And so I try not to ask why this, why did you do that or why that, but to say what, how, like how am I able to make our interactions together easiest on you? And then a lot of times we're not asked that question very often. So we don't even know what the answer is. So it's to follow up with that again. So the second or third time you have an interaction to ask that again, how am I doing? Can you give me some feedback? I give clients permission to tell me they don't like my ideas. And I learned that through the years. Um, Some people, they have no problem telling you, I don't like that or that's not what I want. But for those that are of... um, it's often, it's a blend of a personality type that has a lot of S. They don't want to hurt someone else's feelings. And so if I don't know right at the start what another person's personality is, in my first conversation, somewhere in there, I'll say, I'll talk about how we're going to be a collaborative team working together. And I'll say, I am not at all offended if you tell me no or that you don't like my ideas. I really rely on that feedback to help me adapt to what's best for you. And so some people, just giving them permission to say, I don't like that, gives them that feeling of safety that now we can talk candidly. Um, So essentially reducing stress and clearly communicating, answering questions before they're asked, um, giving another person permission to give us negative feedback. Our business has been built a lot on negative feedback. Clients will say, I didn't like this. And then I didn't, I don't have an MBA. So as I'm learning how to run a business and do things, I've gotten so much better through the years, right from my very first business um, and my cleaning business. One of my clients would leave sticky notes for me of what she liked. And it's to be in business, whether we own a business or we work for somebody, if we want to achieve our own definition of success, it does require us to not get our feelings hurt, to not get offended, um, to hear through as clear of a filter as we can, not through a, a filter of, of oh, when someone tells me no, it, it gives me a rejection feeling in my heart. It's We want to just go in with clear eyes as much as we can And view this person as a new individual. They don't know us at all. We don't know them at all. And so to just take it at at face value. The other thing is I used to think when I was younger, I had this three strikes you're out rule. It seemed like if three things went wrong on a project, the project seemed to turn sour. And then as I evolved and grew through the years, I realized that was not at all the case. Um, I think the project would go sour, that relationship with that client turned sour because I started acting differently. And now what I've thought the last several years and how our team is, is that we're human, we make mistakes. This is why malpractice insurance is is there. 
doctors are humans and make mistakes. Every person can make a mistake and will at some point. So what's more important is not that we're perfect, because nobody's perfect and we all know that about one another. What's more important is what do we do with a mistake? And so when we've made mistakes, I lead right into it. So I'll adapt more of a D-type personality trait with that is to immediately, if the clients are at work, um, I'll give you an example. We had a backsplash. So we did a new a kitchen renovation and several of the plug locations in the backsplash weren't being changed. And the clients had told me at that initial meeting, it bothered them that they weren't leveled. So when the tile went in, you could see they were at different heights. So this was really important to them. And I had said that to the electrician we were using at the time, make sure in, in the list of what he needed to do, laser level these plugins. And so one of the girls on our team, when the backsplash tile was going in, so the project's almost done. We've got cabinets in, flooring in, countertop in. They're doing backsplash is one of the last things. She called the office and said, oh my goodness, the plugins are still crooked because the tile, the grout lines were running horizontally perfectly level and you could see right away plugins are not level. So obviously we have to fix this. This is a promise that we made. So we have to keep our promises. Um, so we immediately tore it out. And um, as you can imagine, that electrician never worked for us again because he had lied. And so I won't put someone into my client's homes that I, it's, that is a one strike you're out for me. That's an impossible oversight to have made. And so I called both, both uh, the husband and wife immediately at work and said, this has happened. I am so sorry. It's not at all your problem. It's ours to fix. So I want to assure them that there's not another penny out of their pocket to fix this. That's that's not a concern of theirs at all. I let them know the project would end up being delayed by one day, but that when they came home from work, they'll see the drywall is cut open. And this is why they're seeing that. So it's it's that whole adapting to a problem, fixing it as quickly as possible, being honest, exactly honest of what happened, the steps we took to fix it, the impact on them. And I've once I started doing that with problems, we've never had a problem with problems. So it's, yeah, it's great. Carla thinks it's of utmost importance to ensure the client knows that the project is a collaboration. How does she ensure that her clients feel they're participating in that collaboration? When I'm talking about our collaborative team with the, the whole team of, prof the, starting with the clients, of course, and then the professionals working on their project, um, our administrative team, the subtrades. What happens with, how that looks with Mayfield Renovations is the homeowners, um, and this, bear in mind, these examples are around renovations, but ultimately, in, in business and as a professional, we need to learn how to adapt one solution to any industry. So I'm hoping that that these examples that people are able to say, oh, this is how. I'm hoping they're able to see this is how this actually could work in another scenario. Um, because the this to generalize how to do this is not just keyhole in renovations. It would actually work in any industry. So the clients, when they're coming to us, a lot of times they know what they don't like about their house. And so I'm going to ask questions to draw out what 
what specifically they don't like, and then I'm going to give feedback of options of what we could do, and then they'll make the choice. So I'm basically presenting to them sort of like a buffet of options to say the structure of your house, and that I can talk about this another time, I have these three pillars of functional design, and, and I'm asking questions to figure out what is the right fit for the clients in their renovation. But with a renovation, the structure certainly does direct what we can do. And so that's my job, is to come back and say, this particular post, for example, on a two-story house on the main level, we can take it out. It'll require a steel beam, and, and we'll have to have a chute for ductwork and things like that. So we can either take it out, and of course there's an increased cost with that, so that's an option. Or we could do um, an innovative design that integrates the post. There's several different options. So I'll bring those back, the different things that I know for sure will work. Then then they'll pick from that. And then as that collaborative team goes along, I'll tell our clients right at the start that when the subtrades are brought on board and we're, we're going through the plans with the subtrades, they have what I call veto rights. So that's our plumber, electrician, tile setter, um, flooring installer. Any of the subtrades that are required, they have specialized skill or they need a city permit. Um, those are the items that we sub out. So our tile setter, when we're picking tiles, I'm going to ask him, okay, we want this marble in an ensuite on a back wall in a shower that extends on that entire wall of the bathroom, and we want it on a herringbone pattern on the wall. So he now is going to give me feedback. He might actually veto that installation. Maybe it's it's too heavy or we've chosen a tile that um, if there's a if there is a, a decorative strip or a decorative piece, if they're not the same thickness, then he's going to come back and say, I don't think that this is, is going to look how you want it. And that opens up that another conversation between the clients, the designers and myself of, okay, we want this kind of look, but the tile setter's advice is that we would do something slightly different. And what I've found through the years is our homeowners love that. They love having the input from other professionals. And I'm very, very big. I'm very passionate on that, the power of choice. So I want our clients to make the right choice for them, but that we've, we've educated them in a way that... Um, hasn't turned their ears off to us, but educated them in a way that they're able to say, okay, that's what I want. And they know that it's going to be a good quality finish that will last for years and years and years. Why is client care so important to businesses, particularly in construction? So another reason that client care is so incredibly important is, I'm sure you've read the stats and the numbers on acquiring a brand new client. It's hugely expensive. And so Obviously, the cycle of business and renovations is a long cycle. It's about a five-year five cycle minimum, and that's if a client did a smaller project, say they do their en-suites, and then in five years do their kitchen and main level. It can be as long in renovations as a 15- or 20-year cycle. So this is important to understand the cycle of, of your profession. And when you take excellent care of your clients and you keep touch with them through the years, or if your cycle is a six-month cycle, it's those little friendly touch points with them. If they enjoyed the experience of working with you in the past, they're more likely to do business with you again. Well, then imagine the cost to acquire that new client is very low. It's whatever the cost of your email newsletters or whatever was. So 
there's it's a twofold thing to take excellent care of your clients and make sure that they're so happy with the service you've provided is so that they will want to come back and work with you again, but also they'll refer you to friends. So friends and families referrals, when you come in, it's a pre-qualified person. They are wanting to work with you. So I know that my company, we're not a volume builder and we use really high quality materials. So we are doing renovations that are like certain components um, when you go into the walls, they'll never be touched again in that house. And that house should, wood frame construction should be standing for hundreds of years. We shouldn't have to go and tear these houses down in 100 years and rebuild them. So we're doing the quality of work that it's going to last a long time. If they come from a cold contact or they're just a lead, they might not understand why that's important and that might not actually be important to them that the house has been renovated or new areas built for longevity. And that's one of the things of our company is we're doing things for longevity. However, if they come from a referral, they're going to be like-minded with our past clients. So that would be a value that's important to them is that they have a renovation or their home, if it's gutted, is done that's going to last for decades and decades to come and not have to be redone in 15 or 20 years. So that is one of the reasons why client care is so important is that it costs much less to um, work with a past client again and much less to receive referrals from clients that we're happy with you. Thank you to Carla Mayfield for joining us to talk about the importance of looking after clients. I'm Wendy Hobbs with Knowledge Counts. Thanks for joining us.